Welcome to Cases of Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Jordan Rubin. So Jordan, the Supreme Court is coming back to hear arguments next week, uh, but I think a lot of people are going to be focused on the confirmation hearings for Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson, um, which kick off on Monday. So that will be uh, following along with what we've seen from other nominees. There'll be four days of confirmation hearings, the first day being just introductions um, from the senators and an opening statement by Jackson. And then the second and third days is, is where we'll get into the nitty gritty of questions. There'll be 30 minutes for each senator to ask a question on the first day and 20 on the second. And then the fourth day, we'll hear from witnesses, both in favor and against her nomination. We're going to chat with somebody about what it is like uh, behind the scenes as they're prepping for this. But since the Supreme Court is back, we're going to do a quick and dirty sneak peek. Should we get that out of the way before we talk to our guest? Let's do it for the brave souls who are actually going to be tuning into the arguments this week, or maybe just for the lawyers arguing them so they remember what their cases are about. I got to say, it's pretty convenient that the Supreme Court picked a pretty, um, <clears throat> what, what's the right way to describe these kind of cases that we're hearing? Low-key? Run-of-the-mill? Boring? I would, I would object to that. <laughs> All right. So uh, tell us about the first case that the justices are going to hear. Sure. Morgan against Sundance, Inc. This is one of a few arbitration cases we have coming up. What happened here was Robin Morgan, a Taco Bell employee in Iowa, sued over failure to be paid overtime. Her lawsuit was proceeding in court against Sundance, which owns Taco Bell franchises. And then during the litigation, the company said it wanted to arbitrate. Morgan says the company waited too long, and so it waived arbitration rights. The question for the court is whether Morgan needs to show that she was prejudiced by that delay. Morgan says that would incentivize gamesmanship, leading parties to test the waters in court first and then retreat to arbitration if court doesn't go well. Sundance says a party that doesn't suffer prejudice can't be a victim of gamesmanship. The circuits are split on the issue, and the court is going to try and clear that one up. And then the second case on Monday, Kimberly, we're moving into voting. Uh, sort of. So this is Berger versus North Carolina State Conference of the NAACP. And I guess that the heart of this is a voter ID requirement out of North Carolina. But this is one of like many hot button cases this term where the issue is instead a technical question for the justices, not the validity of the voter ID requirement, but instead one of these things about who can sue or who can be sued. Um, so, of course, these are kind of pulling on the same things about the Texas SB8 litigation. There was like an opinion that recently came down about um, abortion in, I think, Kentucky. So here, you know, the North Carolina legislature passed a voter ID bill. Uh, then Governor Roy Cooper uh, vetoed the bill, but then the House and Senate overrode it. The NAACP sued. And, you know, the governor wasn't that keen on defending the suit. Uh, and then so, you know, things un unfolded. And the question here is, you know, who within the state government uh, can defend the law? So th again, another technical question, but really interesting that we're, we're really hitting on a lot of these over this term. And so then on Tuesday, Kimberly, when the world is truly not going to be listening to what the Supreme Court is doing, what is the Supreme Court going to be doing? So this is one of a few cases um, where the justices have been interested over the last, I would say, like 10 terms on um, this Hague Convention about child abductions. And that sounds a 
little bit more interesting than it is. It's not really about kidnapping. What it's about is about custody disputes and the whole idea of what do you do when there's kind of an international element to custody disputes? Where should the child remain? Um, which court should figure that out? Um, and this is another in line of those. It's, you know, kind of what courts should consider when there's some indication that, you know, the place that the Hague Convention points to for the child to stay could actually be, be harmful to them. And so that's something that they're going to be considering. But, you know, this is I think this is the third or fourth case um, on this pretty specific convention. And so uh, we'll see what the justices have to say about it. And so then to wrap up. And then last, and maybe least. Maybe least. Uh, we'll leave that to the <laughs> opinion of the listener. I'll keep this one quick so we can talk to our guests about the hearings here. This one on Wednesday is ZF Automotive. It's another arbitration case, international arbitration case in this one, so switching up a bit. There's a federal law that lets litigants use U.S. courts to help gather evidence for use in a foreign or international tribunal. The question is whether that includes a private commercial tribunal as opposed to governmental. There's a circuit split there, too, and that's why the justices get paid the big bucks to sort those out. So that's what they'll be trying to figure out on Wednesday. One thing I thought was really interesting about ZF Automotive is this was a an issue that the Supreme Court had already agreed to hear in a case called Servtronics versus Rolls-Royce. And Justice Alito, this is one of the times where his financial you know, investments had conflicted and he recused and then unrecused himself. Um, the thinking being that when that's happened in the past, it's because the justice has sold his stock. Um, and, you know, we really don't know until their financial disclosures are due, you know, sometime next year. Uh, but then the parties settled, so I just thought, <laughs> Justice Alito, sorry for all your hard work, but wah, wah, wah. Anyway, should we talk to our guests? I think we should. Nick Sinakis is special counsel at Covington and Burling. He was chief counsel for Senator Dianne Feinstein and general counsel for the Senate Judiciary Committee. Nick was there for two Supreme Court confirmations, so we're happy to have him here to help talk about the upcoming Jackson hearings. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So if you can help us set the stage a bit, we're heading into the weekend before the hearings. Tell us what's usually happening in the Judiciary Committee at this point in the process. So things are, are really, you know, stepping up this weekend. You're, you're really getting ready, putting the final touches on kind of what people's questions are, what their strategy going to be for the hearings. I think it's important to remember that this has been going on for a while. You know, people have been thinking about this hearing likely since the election happened and the potential even for a Supreme Court vacancy. Um, people have been planning about how that could happen. And then once a nomination was made, really people started focusing on what needs to get done. Not only review of documents, making sure those documents get distributed to members of the committee, helping setting up um, uh, courtesy meetings and then planning for not only what you what you want uh, to help the nominee speak about to support their nomination, um, but also getting ready to push back against any counter narratives from, from the other side, from either you know, Democrat or Republican senators, depending on, on where you're sitting. And so a lot of this weekend coming in uh, to next week is, is really kind of refining those talking points, getting ready for things. And look, you know, we're seeing news even from this morning talking about you know, senators like Senator Hawley's tweet Making you know, I think people are focusing on that as as well, just to make sure that you know, all senators are aware of what's happening, and um, you know everybody everybody's prepared uh, right before the the, the hearings start. Um, you know, you try to be as prepared as possible, but I think the thing to 
remember is that, you know, nothing ever goes quite as planned. So one question I had, and maybe we can get into the specifics a little bit more. You mentioned um, Senator Hawley's tweet, but um, one question I had is, do um, like the Democratic senators and the Republican senators coordinate um, kind of what questions they're going to ask? I mean, is there somebody who's, you know, planning on highlighting her experience as a public defender and another who might be highlighting kind of the gender and racial diversity that she brings? Or is it kind of everyone for themselves? There's absolutely coordination. I mean, the caveat is that, you know, each member, each senator has their own priorities and they're going to make sure that those priorities get mentioned. But amongst committee members, they're going to completely coordinate about who's going to bring up what, how they're going to do it. And also, if, if a topic gets brought up, who's going to be the one to try to bring up that rebuttal point? It's all, you know, for, for as much as possible, people on, on, once again, on both sides try to coordinate it. And so, Nick, we're talking about, obviously, some of the planning here. Obviously, that's all happening in the shadow of getting the justice actually confirmed or trying to make that not happen. I'm wondering, just given the reality of who has the votes here, how this is different from some of the nominations you've probably been involved in where there was really arguably more at stake and then how any of those differences are going to play out here. Well, I think you take a look at, at some of the, the, the seats that came with the, the nominations, for example, uh, the, you know, Justice Kavanaugh's nomination um, uh, for Justice Kennedy's seat. Justice Kennedy was a swing vote. There's obviously a lot of focus there. Um, uh, Justice Barrett uh, taking Justice Ginsburg's seat, talking about kind of a, a, a shift in the court. Um, there is obviously a lot of public discussion about uh, how Judge Jackson's nomination, if she's confirmed, would not necessarily um, shift the, the the makeup of the court. Um, and the, the kind of the discussion around that has been, you know, whether that means uh, this nomination will get as heated. Uh, to be honest, I think that that is, is yet to be seen. Um, I think that things have been set up. I think that you, you know, you, you Chairman Durbin, and, and, and I think maybe it's a good time to mention this too, you have an incredibly experienced committee um, who have done several, you know, nominations. Some of them over decades, you know, had these sorts of hearings. You have an incredibly experienced committee staff on both sides too, to make sure that everybody has what they need. Um, to to if people have concerns, to make sure that they're addressed uh, as soon as possible. And so I think through that experience and through that work. You know, there's the the potential here for a um, a a straightforward confirmation. I, I am hesitant to ever use the word smooth. Those are all in place. I think you know the 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 opportunity is there. Um, but you know these are these are very serious of you know hearings. These are very you know uh, that that really impact the trajectory of the country. And so once again, it's, it's difficult uh, to predict kind of what may happen. But you know, I think all of all the opportunities for, for a straightforward hearing are, are present. Can you give us a little hint? I know it's always hard, as you mentioned, to kind of predict the way that these confirmation hearings are going to go. But can you um, just kind of highlight some of the things that you expect to hear from the Democrats on the committee and then also um, kind of in opposition or to her kind of from the Republican side? Sure. I, so I think that, um, you know, and, and once again, I, I, this really goes to, to process. If you take a look at a lot of the nominations hearings that have happened throughout this year, 
I think you'll see a lot of those themes revisited mm-hmm. and expanded. You know, talking about the importance of uh, diversity on the bench mm-hmm. in a variety of ways, including professional diversity. I think there'll be a lot of uh, discussion on both sides about the nominee's background as a public defender. Um, and I think at the same time, you you will also see, for uh, for example, in, in, in other nominations hearings, um, uh, Republicans have talked about, uh, you know, whether defense attorneys are, uh, you know, defenders, whether they're constitutional lawyers or something else. As a former public defender myself, I will I will not kind of weigh into part of that that narrative. But I think that you will see a lot of that revisited. Right. So I thought it was really interesting when I was rewatching um, Jackson's confirmation to the D.C. Circuit that there were even questions about her being the nominee for a potential Supreme Court seat um, and some kind of questions anticipating that. So I think that is a pretty good, along with others, um, you know, her confirmation is a pretty good indication of what we'll be hearing from the committee members. I could not agree more. I think <laughs> as somebody who was there at the time, I think um, everybody was cognizant um, mm-hmm. that Judge Jackson could very well be be the nominee. And so again, Nick, getting to this question that people might have of what can Republicans do, if anything, to actually either stop this or gum up the works at all? One question that I have that I'm really hoping to hear from you on, given your technical knowledge of the Senate process, is we all know that obviously at the end of the day in the broader Senate and then with the Democrats having the vice presidency as well, that they have the votes even if it comes to a tie. But is there not something that Republicans can do in the Senate Judiciary Committee itself to either delay or somehow slow down the process at all? Isn't there something like that kind of floating out there? Can you either explain or dispel that idea? Sure. So I think this is, you know, and and, and I think this has been um, reported elsewhere. So I don't want to take, uh, you know, credit for for this. And, and what we've seen has sort of happened recently in other committees, for example, um, the, the procedure I'm about to describe kind of happened in the banking committee. I think it happened in the small business committee. The nature of the 50-50 Senate is unique. And with that, you have got committees equally divided. And that means that if, you know, one party does not show up, uh, quorum cannot be made for a committee hearing. Under Senate Rule 26, it says that no measure, or matter, or recommendation shall be reported from any committee unless the majority of the committee were physically present. So if committee members do not show up and deny quorum for the, for the vote, um, then that could delay the, the nomination moving, moving to the floor. And so then in theory, is that something that could be put off indefinitely if the Republicans were to take that strategy, or is there something that can then counteract that in some way? Obviously, we don't know what's actually going to happen, but I'm wondering just in theory what could happen. There are procedures on the floor um, that could still allow the nomination to move forward. So it could not, it would not be indefinite. This would just be a delay. And then it's up to whether or not it's worth it for Republicans to really um, waste the political capital on something that ultimately won't undo what seems to be an already already confirmed Justice Jackson. I think that's, I, I you know, without trying to, to delve into the, you know, political calculation of, of various <laughs> members, I think that is, I think that's right. I think that's right. So then if things do proceed along, let's call it a relatively normal timeline, whatever that might mean, this is all happening against the backdrop of Breyer saying he'll step down upon the confirmation of his successor. So Nick, 
at what point do you think realistically, assuming nothing comes up during the committee hearings, that we would expect Jackson to actually be confirmed? I think that we could see Judge Jackson confirmed in, in the next couple of weeks. If we take a look, you know, w- what we could see happen is uh, so the Judiciary Committee has a rule that the first time a nominee or any any piece of legislation is listed, typically that uh, nominee or piece of legislation is held over for one week. And so they were voting on the following week. Um, but we could see this move in the next couple of weeks. Well, Nick, thanks so much for joining us and giving us this uh, inside look into the Judiciary Committee. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So that was good to get an inside view there, Kimberly. And just for any listeners who might not be mercifully uh, glued to Twitter, I'm jealous of them. The tweet from Hawley that we'd been talking about is him criticizing Judge Jackson's views on child pornography cases, both on the Sentencing Commission and then as a judge. And this is part of a broader trend we've seen of Republicans criticizing Biden judicial nominees who have been public defenders before, civil rights attorneys, things like that. And this is kind of homing in on sort of the more specific aspect, which you could see why they would want to use that particular wedge of people who've been charged and convicted of child pornography offenses. So that seems like one of the things that is going to be a topic of discussion at the hearings. Although, you know, I was listening to a group of conservatives, you know, people kind of from like, you know, um, more Republicans to libertarians. And they actually pointed, some of them pointed to Jackson's work in this area that goes back even before, you know, she was a lawyer. Um, and, you know, kind of praising it as one reason to confirm her because she's thought about a lot of these laws that, um, you know, libertarians often don't think make a lot of sense. With that. All right. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. You ever thought to yourself, how is that legal? Why is that legal? You ever seen a big trial in the news and wondered, what's really happening there? Have you ever pondered the question, why are lawyers the way that they are? And how much money do they really make anyway? These are the things we live and breathe at On The Merits, Bloomberg Law's weekly legal news podcast. On The Merits looks into the biggest stories playing out in the legal industry right now, and we feature the finest journalists covering the biggest legal stories from across the Bloomberg Law newsroom. On the Merits is hosted by me, David Schultz, and you can hear it wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.